Happy Easter, everyone. I hope you are doing well and able to have some fun at this time uh, amidst all the trouble and uh, difficulty. Last weekend, our local council, BCP Council, encouraged people to put bears out in their front gardens and front windows so that children in the roads could go around to get their daily exercise and spot bears. The idea for that came from this book. We're going on a bear hunt, which we used to read to our children when they were small. For some reason, the version that we have is uh, in Albanian as well as English. I'm not sure my Albanian is up to very much. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. And it was great to see lots of kids going around the roads looking for bears. Now, that story of we're going on a bear hunt put me in mind of another perhaps more familiar children's story, the story of Goldilocks and the three bears. And of course, you remember in that story, Goldilocks finds her way to the bear's house and she finds three chairs. One chair is too small, another chair is too big, and the third chair is just right. And then she finds some porridge on the table and one bowl of porridge is too cold and another bowl of porridge is too hot and the third bowl of porridge is just right. And then she goes upstairs to the bedroom and there she finds three beds. And you know the story, one of the beds is too soft and another bed is too hard and the third bed is just right. Now, that feels a little bit like how things are at the moment with the coronavirus. Are the measures under which we're living our lives too hard, too soft or just right? I found it really interesting the past few days looking at different comments and opinions, even amongst the top researchers, the top four universities in the country, Oxford, Cambridge, University College London and Imperial College, uh, teams from those four universities disagreeing with one another about whether how we're treating the coronavirus is too hard, too soft or just right. The reality is we won't know for months and months what is the right strategy, but we do know the cost of getting the strategy wrong is potentially massive, both in terms of lives and also of finance and our whole social way of doing life together. So we need to keep praying for those who are making the big decisions at the moment. We've been very aware this week of the Prime Minister being so ill. This is a disease which can touch, a virus which can touch anyone. We need to pray for those who are making big decisions and we need to pray for those who are implementing the decisions, particularly workers in the NHS who I know we're all supporting and cheering and applauding but who are having to make some really difficult decisions in how they treat people and how they conduct their work. So we need to pray for those in these positions. Now often being right doesn't really matter. We humans have a great potential to fall out and argue over things, even the silliest things. Neighbours can fall out over the silliest things and enter feuds which last years or even decades. Sometimes nations go to war over things which in hindsight seem to be trivial, things which surely could have been resolved in other ways. But sometimes being right, sometimes being just right, really does matter. And I believe the thing that is of most importance for us to be right in is in our relationship with God. Now lots of people might say to me, how can that be the most important thing? Especially at a time like this when we're faced with so many real, tangible, practical problems, how can relationship with God be the most important thing to get right? 
Well, today is Easter Sunday, and this is the Easter story. And to help us understand the Easter story, I'm going to take some verses from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans and show us, I hope to show us why this really matters, why actually being right with God is a thing about which, which we do need to get just right. So, first of all, I want us to see that death is really real. We're being reminded a lot of the reality of death at the moment. We're having to face death rather more than we normally would. It's very obvious. But the reality is that death is always real. Death is always with us. Last year, worldwide, 58 million people died. That is more than the entire population of England. Just try and imagine that kind of number. 58 million people, more than the entire population of England, died last year. Here in the UK, 600,000 people died last year. That's more than 1,600 every day. Now imagine if our TV news every evening began with the recounting of that death toll. Imagine if every day of every year for all our lives, the news began with a report of how many people had died that day. Today, another 1,600 people have died in the UK. Today, 400 people have died because of cancer. Today, 400 people have died because of coronary problems. Today, 200 people have died because of respiratory problems. Imagine the impact it would have on us. It might actually help us think about how to do life differently if we had that kind of news. But Imagine what that would be like to hear not just about the death toll of coronavirus as we're having today, but the daily death toll, the daily reality of death. The Bible has a lot to say about death. And the Bible sees death not just as a biological fact, but as a spiritual reality. Let's read our first verse from Romans. We're going to read Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people, because all sinned. This verse says something quite different from what we might expect. It doesn't say that death is the result of ageing, or of sickness, or of war, or of accident. What it says is that death is a consequence of sin. What is sin? Sin at its most simple, most simple explanation is sin is the human rejection of God. It's choosing to do things our way rather than his way. It's imagining ourselves to be the creator rather than seeing him as the creator. And sin is the root of all our human problems. That's what the Bible says. Sin is a problem. Death comes through sin. And this verse says something else which might surprise us because it says that sin came into the world through one man. Sin came into the world through Adam, our physical and spiritual ancestor. Now, when we read this verse, that might not sound very fair. Why am I? Why are you? Why are we condemned by what Adam did, some distant ancestor in ancient time? Why? Is what he did something which has affected us all? It's hard to understand 
But I think what's happening at the moment with the coronavirus really helps illustrate what the Bible is teaching us here, what the Bible says about this. None of us are responsible for the coronavirus. We know where it it came from. It, It came from China. We know how it came about. It's a zoonotic disease. It's a a virus which has jumped the animal-human divide and that happened because of live animal markets in China where there are all kinds of animals together which aren't meant to mix together and getting slaughtered in public places and that creates a kind of context where viruses which normally would just be in animal populations can make the jump into human populations. None of us are responsible for that. I've never ate a bat or a pangolin, which are the animal species it's thought that coronavirus might come from. Most of us don't even have the virus. Actually, most of us won't even get the virus. But all of us are affected by the virus. Our lives, each of our lives, has been dramatically shaped by the virus. In that sense, we've all got the virus because all of our lives have been disrupted and messed up by the virus, actually shaped and controlled by the virus. And here in Romans, the Bible really describes sin in terms like that. It's something which is deadly to us, and it's something from which none of us are exempt. And yes, sin came into the world through one man, Adam, but all of us are affected by by it. All of us contain it in some way. And that means that death is really real. Death came because of sin. We're all affected by that. Death is really real. The second thing I want us to see here is that God has an answer to the virus of sin. This is the good news. When there's a deadly virus, what we most desperately want is a vaccine which is effective against that virus. And if an effective vaccine is found, that seems to be honest, pretty miraculous. A vaccine, an injection, can mean that suddenly we become immune to something which otherwise could kill us. It it really gives us kind of superhuman powers, superpowers that you can uh, be exposed to something which should kill you, but because you've been vaccinated, you're untouched, unscathed. It's a miraculous, a remarkable thing. And vaccines can be so powerful that they have the potential even to render viruses extinct. Of course, the most well-known example of this, the standout example of this, is the virus, the the illness of smallpox. This was an absolutely horrendous illness. It's hard for us to think how horrendous it was because we don't see it. It caused untold suffering. It was physically terrible in the way it disfigured people. I was going to put up a picture of somebody with smallpox, but it's just, I know, I know there'll be some children potentially watching this, and it's just too distressing. And uh, even if the disease didn't kill you, for very many people, it left people blind. It's just a, a hideous, hideous disease. In 18th century Europe, when, of course, the population was far smaller than it is today, 400,000 people died every year from smallpox. 400,000! Extraordinary. In the 20th century, 300 million people died from smallpox. Even as recently as 1967, there were 15 million cases of smallpox. And then 1979, smallpox eradicated. Just extraordinary. A disease which 
has killed millions and millions of people over our human history, which disfigured and blinded millions and millions more, gone, killed itself, eradicated. Now, we're putting a lot of hope in a potential vaccine against coronavirus. The message of Easter is that God has provided a vaccine against sin. It's what it, is what it says in Romans 5, verse 17. For if, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? What this verse tells us is that the antidote to sin is not a pill you swallow or an injection you receive. The antidote to sin is a person the person of Jesus Christ. Sin and death have reigned, but through Jesus, life will reign. That's the message of Easter. Now, see how the verse describes this as the gift of righteousness. It, this is the gift of being made right. This is the being right that really matters. Jesus has made a way for us to be set free. Our ancestor Adam, his sin infected, affected, corrupted us all, but Christ's life can deliver us, hallelujah. God has an answer for the virus of sin. The third thing I want us to see today is that knowing Jesus means life. Knowing Jesus means life. This is what it says in Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. What these amazing verses say is that those who put their faith in Jesus are joined together with him in both his death and in his life. It does begin with death. A couple of days ago was Good Friday, the day when we remember and commemorate Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus really did die and the death of Jesus was a death that was horrendous by any measure. Death on a cross, the most shameful and scandalous and painful and humiliating death the Romans could devise. A death that was utterly horrific. But what scripture, what the Bible tells us is that by that death, by his death, Jesus was actually putting sin to death. The virus of sin was nailed to the cross in Jesus Christ and what these verses in Romans tell us is that those who put their faith in Jesus share in that death that the virus of our sin is exterminated because of the cross of Christ. All that separated us from God, that gulf that existed between us and God, that uncrossable divide between us and God, that unbridgeable chasm to get to the place where we're found to be just right, where we find what is just right. That gap was closed. The curse was broken. The debt was paid. Sin itself was nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. When we trust in him, 
we die with him in some way. Our sin dies with him. That's Good Friday, the message of the cross. Today, Easter Sunday, is the message of life. Because Jesus didn't stay dead, Jesus is alive. Death could not hold him. The grave is empty. You know, the historical reality of the resurrection is absolutely crucial. This really is what Christianity, this is what our faith, this is what my whole life really hangs on, the historical truth, the historical reality that the grave is empty. I think if you examine the stories and you examine the facts and look at the evidence, as many people have over the centuries, what you find is that there is no better explanation for why there are no bones of Jesus than the fact that he was raised to life, where the best explanation, the reasonable explanation, uh, even if it seems improbable, the reasonable explanation is the one to follow. Resurrection seems very improbable. It's something which is impossible in our experience, but all the evidence points to, demonstrates that in the case of Jesus, it's really true that he really did die and he really was raised to new life. He really was killed upon the cross. He was crucified. He was stabbed in the side. His heart was ruptured with a spear. He was dead. He was buried, and then the body disappeared, and there is no explanation, no way it could have been stolen. The rock was too heavy. The guards were too secure. The penalties for letting anybody take his body away were too severe for the guards. They were guarding his dead body on the pain of their own lives. All the evidence points to the fact the only explanation for the empty tomb can be the reality of Christ's resurrection. Our faith hangs on this, and it's true. Now, if Jesus has beaten death, we can beat death too. We will live with him. This is the hope of Easter. I've been reading a book the last few days uh, by an Oxford philosopher called uh, Toby Ord and the book probably the uh, the most well depending how you see it the most fortuitous piece of publishing this year a book which came out just before the coronavirus struck and it's a book called The Precipice and it's an examination of all the things which could potentially render the human race extinct and how we ought to avoid that things like plague and pestilence and uh, it's an examination of that. It's an amazingly prescient book. Now, in that book, Toby Ord says this. Because, in expectation, almost all of humanity's life lies in the future, almost everything of value lies in the future as well, almost all the flourishing, almost all the beauty, our greatest achievements, our most just societies, our most profound discoveries, we can continue our progress on prosperity, health, justice, freedom, and moral thought. We can create a world of well-being and flourishing that challenges our capacity to imagine. It's an amazing paragraph that Toby Ord writes there, his imagination of what could be if we don't exterminate ourselves, that actually what the human race could be is beyond our capacity to imagine it's almost biblical language and that's because actually it reflects a biblical theme the christian hope is not that we might be able to we humans might be able to achieve this if we don't exterminate ourselves if we don't do something stupid and trigger a nuclear war or create a 
pathogen which can't be stopped or whatever it might be. The Christian hope is not that we can do this. The Christian hope is that Christ has already guaranteed it. The certainty of his resurrection means the death of death. He, Jesus, will create a world of well-being and flourishing that challenges our capacity to imagine. That's what Easter is all about. Death has been, ki- has been killed. Life is bursting forth. Jesus is going to create a world of well-being and flourishing that challenges our capacity to imagine. Yes, that's the message and the hope of Easter. Death is real. God has an answer. Knowing Jesus means life. Put your hope in Jesus. He is just right. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. If you're able to, I'd invite you now to pray this simple prayer with me before we come back into a time of worship. Jesus, you are the one who is just right and you can make me right too. Today I put my trust in you. Thank you for the miracle of Easter. Thank you that your death means the death of sin. Thank you that your life means life for me. Let me know the reality of this life at work in me. Thank you for the promise of life beyond imagining. Amen.